Can I ask you a question? You only got into Minute. You didn't even get points. <laughs> 140. The arse. No way you're at 140 IQ. Off the ball. Weekdays from 7 pm on OTB Sports Radio. OTB AM. With Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Samuel Luckhurst is with us to talk to us about the uh, situation at Manchester United after their 6-3 defeat in the derby. Samuel, good morning to you. How are you? Good morning. Very well. Thank you for having me on again. The Manchester United fans streaming out before halftime was a picture. It was it was quite the look. Um, I, and it was, I, I, you know, normally you're like, I, I can't believe they're leaving. They need to stay and support the team. Thick and thin, thin and thinner. And uh, in some ways they might have been justified. I think this is the eighth time now in the last year that United conceded at least four goals in the game. At one point yesterday, City got it to 6-1. So you had flashbacks of 2011. Briefly, there were flashbacks of 1989 and the 5-1 at Main Road. City fans for 11 years have chanted about how it should have been 10, uh, referenced that 6-1 in 2011. And really yesterday, it probably could and should have been. City eased off. They, they did show United mercy, believe it or not, even though they pillaged six goals against them. And the scoreline wasn't a fair reflection whatsoever. Uh, those two goals, Mansi Marshall at the end, uh, which is a consequence of City, as I said, uh, easing off on United. And it was, it was, I suppose, reassuring for United supporters that Ten Hag was still extremely critical of the players afterwards and that he wasn't sugarcoating it at all and he wasn't even taking um, any, any consolation from the fact that the, the losing margin was only uh, three goals. How hard would you be in the players of Samuel in the sense of did they come up against a literally unstoppable force that were playing with incredible speed, ingenuity and Haaland in the first half or were you not just shite? <laughs> well, I think it's, it's probably a mixture of both. When, when the team sheets dropped actually uh, in the press room, a lot of people were looking at it thinking you know, City's best central defensive pairing was was on the bench uh, with the Kanji and Ake starting, no Rodri. It, there were a lot of reasons that you could see there for United to actually find City gettable and um, maybe make hay there. But from pretty much the first kick of the game, I mean, United conceded in the eighth minute. They were lucky not to have been 1-0 down before then when there, there was that flurry of chances. But I suppose the alarming thing is that there, there are a couple of things there. United were far worse than they were under Rangnick in March. Uh, for an hour of that game, they were pretty decent. Certainly the first half, they put up a good showing. They were 2-1 down. They were still in the game. But that game yesterday, they were they were cut apart far more. It was much more easier for Manchester City getting through United. And this is a defence that hadn't conceded too many goals uh, in, in recent games since Rafael Varane came into the team. You have got the mitigation of, of Varane's injury yesterday, having clearly a, a massive bearing on, on, on the scoreline, maybe not the outcome. I think City would still have won that game. And also the game plan was not very different at all. In fact, it was almost identical to how United played there under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. The difference was the three times Solskjaer took United there, they won every time. So, I mean, th- there are a lot of things that Ten Hag has done that have been progressive and nobody is doubting that um, he's, he's, he's not a better manager than, than Solskjaer. He's, he's far more worthy of, of the role of Manchester United manager. But that game plan yesterday hinged on either a counter-attack or a forward doing something out of nothing. 
and most of the starts and forwards did next to nothing. What's the story of Casemiro? It's it's been six weeks now since he was unveiled by United, and the, the problem is that Ten Hag has essentially played him out of the team by just not playing him at all. Um, certainly from the start, there have been three or four opportunities to start him in Premier League games. I think people were surprised that he didn't start against Southampton, which was five days after he was registered as a United player. Then there was another five-day gap until the Leicester game. He still didn't start in that. McTominay did. And you knew going into the game on Sunday, that the team that Ten Hag selected yesterday was as expected. If, if Rashford was fit, he was always going to start. And it was always going to be the one change from their previous game in Moldova, which was Rashford for Ronaldo. The trouble is that stop, with Scott McTominay, decent though he's been recently, when you've invested £70 million in a defensive midfielder and then six weeks later, he's still not starting against probably the best front six in world football, your preparations of there's been a misstep in your press preparations there because as honest a player as McTominay is, and as I said, he has been doing decently recently, if United said to have standards, he cannot be starting regularly because he's not good enough to be a regular starter in a successful Manchester United team. He has done very well to forge um, a career at the club and play as regularly as he has. And uh, he's endeared himself to four different managers now, which is a testament to, to his attitude. And he has got qualities. There's no doubt about that. But he's not a defensive midfielder. And by not even preparing Casemiro for that game, it's something Sir Alex Ferguson for... I mean, there was a lot of justifiable criticism about Ferguson for his tinkering and his rotating, but he would tell certain players weeks in advance of a game, you are starting in that game, you need to prepare for that game. With Casemiro, he was never going to be starting in that game. And Ten Hag put it down to the day that he arrived, United started winning. Yeah, OK, you know, nobody's disputing that. They did win four games on the spin. But Manchester City are a level up a few levels up from uh, Liverpool, certainly this season, and even Arsenal this season. So you've got to be you know, planning ahead with the right players in place. And yesterday, I mean, it was a big problem that the forwards did. I mean, p people talk about United pressing and um, looking different team in that sense. They really don't. The, the forwards gave the, the midfielders and the defenders no protection whatsoever. And I think at one point in the first half, Ake actually brought the ball into United's half. And I heard some United staff members nearby saying, how has Ake been allowed to do that? And immediately you then looked to McTominay to engage Ake. But he can't do that because he's shadowing De Bruyne. So I'm not saying that Casemiro would have made a, a tangible difference there yesterday. And he has looked a bit cumbersome at times. But ultimately, he is a player that Manchester United invested £70 million in in the transfer window. And I suppose it's a different story altogether that with the profile of players that they signed, the one who sticks out in terms of the outfield players, the one who sticks out like a sore thumb is Casemiro because he has no connection to Ten Hag. And United said earlier in the summer they were comfortable not go of going without signing a defensive midfielder. I don't think it's a coincidence that they then spent £70 million on the position fans were clamouring for them to um, to get to reinforce after they were battered 4-0 by Brentford. Uh, I, <clears throat> I was asked um, by Colin, our producer, is it not a question of fitness? But then just checked and he did 60 minutes against Ghana and 90 minutes against Tunisia. So he's fit. And, and he played He played in France as well. It's not like he's gone halfway around the world to Brazil or he's played in, in 
Livia where the climate is, is problematic. He was playing across the channel. Uh, but again, I think I think Ten Hag made his decision on that team weeks ago, four weeks ago, really. The, the postponements have probably not helped as well. United have had two games in the Premier League that they've not played and they would have certainly had a bearing on, on his selections for, for the game yesterday. But that that is on him not not um, integrating Casemiro into the starting team. Um, apart from that, obviously, there's uh, issues around the defence. It turns out again, uh, Varane went off injured. Unfortunately, Varane's injury profile is such that you don't really expect to have him for 35, 36, 40, 50 games a season. So uh, with Maguire... I don't know how close he was to being fit for that game. What does the centre-back partnership look like for the next couple of weeks here? I suppose it will be Lindelof and uh, Martinez. He's not really got much choice there because the other two senior centre-backs still at United. uh, It's easy to forget them. uh, Axelton, Zabie and Phil Jones. Both of them are injury prone and both of them are also injured. So he's he's got no choice there for the time being if, if they do get another injury there and Varane is still sidelined and, and Maguire is still out, then, of course, he's going to have to try and be a bit creative, maybe play McTominay back there. Uh, I think that's that's something that he might have to resort to. You've seen in, um, in, in relatively recent years when, when Michael Carrick was still playing for United that he did drop back to centre-back, but it's not a great position to be in, although it, it is quite unfortunate for United that four centre-backs are now injured, uh, having you know, just obviously in the summer they, they invested in more than £50 million on another one on Lissandro Martinez. For Maguire, it's it's unfortunate for him. Um, I, I, there's there's no real time frame on when he will be back, but you know, he, it was his choice to play on injured for England in a game that, as competitive and watchable as it was, it was a Nations League game with next to nothing riding on it. And there's always been... Uh, a suspicion among United's fan base that Maguire does reserve his best for England, and again, you know, a more a more canny player might have taken themselves out of the firing line and, and asked to be substituted, and not potentially not aggravated their injury. Mm. Just on the on the game yesterday, Samuel, what's it like? Haaland is coming to Dublin in November, and I think everyone is looking forward to that, and I think it's going to sell out almost just to see him. What's it like actually? Being there in a Manchester derby where you're probably looking at something the football world has never seen before, ever. I mean, I, I knew just from watching him on the telly that he was a generational talent, as everybody does. And when you're actually observing him, I think it, it was almost the equivalent of Alan Partridge and the um, chocolate oranges yesterday, and that when United were 1-0 down, they were actually keeping Haaland pretty quiet. But... As, as Parkshire himself discovered, even the chocolate oranges were damaged and Haaland did a hell of a lot of damage yesterday. The the second goal he scored, uh, I mean, I think you look back at it and you think, crack, he's done so well. That's, that's freakish for him to have done that. But when he did it at the time, I wasn't surprised. I don't think anybody was surprised because it, he is just, he's a freak of nature. This is De Bruyne's um, pass now. Well, he's also... Yeah, he, his, yeah. This goal, Jerry, is... Is it beyond insane though? He because he, he waits, <sighs> he waits for that ball, and you're talking about this ball is moving at a speed. De Bruyne's delivery is obviously literally inch perfect, but he is waiting for that, waiting, 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 and then getting a connection. I'm not sure anyone in the world could actually make connection. I, I would agree. I think, and a couple of weeks ago when he did the <clears throat> the flying kick backwards with the left foot coming back across himself, I thought, oh, that's, that's wow, that finish is like. Whatever the gymnastic, athletic ability that he has, like the suppleness to be able to do that. And then 
just to be able to pull out the I'm going to slide into this now it's not it doesn't make any sense mm. it's like he has an extra skill that other people don't have that gives him I don't know I, I haven't I haven't seen anybody as as deft at that size ever he, he is he is the complete centre forward in that he he's built like a monster but he's I mean that whole saying about oh he's got a good touch for a big man. I mean he completely dispels that. His his touch is perfect. He's lightning quick. Uh, he's he's agile. Uh, he's a handful in the air. He's a handful on the deck. I, I, I'm struggling to see a single uh, a single weakness in his game. He, he looks like one of those strikers who's just been built in a lab. Really, there's there's I don't think there's a single weakness about him. What does it mean for English football, though, Samuel, in the sense that he's young? So if he stays relatively fit, like it's almost impossible to see what happens other than. But Mads- he's only going to stay three years, as Dad told everybody yesterday. Yeah. What 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 what's the feeling like? What's the feeling um, even in Manchester yesterday, where uh, you know I guess Man City are getting. They're probably thinking now we're not going to lose a league as long as he's here. Liverpool are completely faded. What? What's? Is this good for the game? Because I, I love watching him, but obviously you want competition. You, you certainly do, and he might be the difference in the Champions League for them. In that, that has been the the one trophy that's eluded Guardiola in the last six years that he's been there. Uh, he's he's had some brilliant strikers in that time. I mean, Jesus, okay, he's, he's he's gone up a level at Arsenal where he's the main man, but he was a decent backup man. Aguero was a great great player for City, but Haaland is is a different level. Um, the the rate he's scoring is just terrifying, and he, he terrifies opponents as as you saw yesterday. And I think from from English football fans' perspective, who aren't Manchester City fans, they'll have to hope that what his father said about him having a shelf life of three or four years at club uh, at each club um, is turns out to be correct. But what you notice with City is that their best players, the majority of them, don't tend to um, don't tend to leave early. Uh, they tend to stay there a fair while. With with Raheem Sterling, he was there for seven years. I know it, that flew by, but I suppose when he signed for them at the time, you wouldn't have necessarily thought he would have been there for seven years. Uh, Kevin De Bruyne has been there for seven years, and you, you'd have thought maybe a couple of years ago that maybe there was a time coming up for him to to move on to one of the more uh, you know, historically famous clubs. But City do an extremely good job of keeping the best players they have there. Bernardo Silva has looked to get out a couple of times, I think, but he's still there. He's still starting. He's still a world-class player for them who um, would walk into just about any other team in the world. They, that culture and that environment that they cultivate there is just a dream for any professional footballer. And obviously it does help having Pep Guardiola as the coach as well, but it's not easy playing for Guardiola. He's, mm incredibly demanding he even said yesterday like perfection doesn't exist but that doesn't that doesn't stop him from striving for it uh, every day every training session every game and you look at him yesterday and at times you'd have thought he was the one who was getting a 6-1 drubbing mm. they couldn't do anything to satisfy him during that game and apart from scoring he looked absolutely jubilant sorry he was absolutely jubilant when they scored mm. but apart from those moments he was he was being as as critical as anybody in the stadium, and that's what separates him from just about every other manager mm. in the world, and that's what separates City from every other team in the country, at the very least. What did you make of the comments from Ten Hag about not um, putting Ronaldo on because of his great career? Well, that was to my question, and I was slightly taken aback by it. it, it I don't think anybody really truly believes that. Um, 
he would rather play Marcus Rashford and Anthony Martial. I think he'd probably rather play Anthony Alanga as well, if given the choice. And he did that against Liverpool in, in August when Ronaldo was taken out of the team and Alanga lined up on the left. Um, he, he prefers flexible forwards. Uh, Ronaldo doesn't fit into that uh, way of playing. Obviously, when you don't play Ronaldo in a derby and you do use your five uh, substitutes and he's he's unused, that that is a story in itself because it's Ronaldo, and you know it's unfortunate for Ten Hag in a way because he has got enough on his plate. And however he answered that question, um, he was he was not going to satisfy anyone really. But when you when you look at that situation, the way it's developed, United didn't get a good enough offer to to sell Ronaldo and the clubs that looked at him, considered him, never made the offer, whether it was Chelsea or Bayern Munich or Atletico Madrid. Can, can you explain he, that, Samuel, actually? What what was a good enough offer then? Like, Because in my mind, it would have been just get rid of him. I mean, it's easier said than done in the, you know, the, the, the clubs didn't want him. Um, Tuchel didn't want him at Chelsea and look how that's turned out. Obviously, Tuchel's not there anymore. Uh, there was... A hell of a lot of resistance from Atletico Madrid uh, internally, as well as their su- supporters as well that you'd have seen, who were very visible in protesting against the very um, the, the very possibility of Ronaldo going there. Bayern Munich maybe could have done with him in hindsight, given the way that they've started this season, but they they didn't make an offer. They they were complimentary about him, but there was never a serious discussion there. I think the only concrete offer came from the Saudi Arabian club, and Ronaldo doesn't want to be going off to Saudi Arabia at this stage of his career. So, so, so this, yeah, so this is this is what I'm struggling with here. Could Ronaldo, could Manchester United have actually gotten rid of Ronaldo or no? I think if if, if they, I mean, the, the other issue you have with it is that United are historically abysmal at selling players and the wages Ronaldo is on, I, I, I just think it was nigh and impossible to do it this summer. If they were maybe a bit more proactive about it, then they they there probably would have been a club out there, but they don't have an experienced director of football. Um, after the first two games of the season that they'd lost, they only had made three signings at that point, And the focus was very much on incomings at that stage. And where Marshall was injured at the start of the season, they couldn't really just give, you know, get rid of Ronaldo when he was their best player and top scorer last season, when they were struggling for goals and they were in complete disarray at that point. But, if they had better forward planning in place and were dealing with these issues earlier in the summer, that was the time to do it. And that's something that's been a failing of United almost every year. They do leave far too many big decisions in the transfer window until the final month of the window. At that point, the season has started and there are a hell of a lot more nuances to factor into the decision-making process. The run of fixtures isn't uh, amazing for them <clears throat> over the next while. They've got uh, away at Everton, which isn't the gimme that it was two weeks ago, either side of the uh, Europa League. And then it's Newcastle, Spurs and Chelsea's. Um, that, that bit's uh, still to be confirmed. But uh, it's a very important month for them. It certainly is. Uh, that, that Chelsea game is definitely going ahead that day. It's just the kickoff time that, uh, for some perplexing reason, is still not being confirmed. But that week, they'll be playing Tottenham on the Wednesday at home, Chelsea away on the Saturday. 
I think the month ends with with West Ham at home as well. And obviously they only just finished behind United last season. They've, they've been a much poorer team so far this season, West Ham. But you, you could certainly see them putting up a decent fight at Old Trafford. So they, they need to be in a healthy position going into um, the, the World Cup when, when the season is, is suspended until Boxing Day. But I think just among colleagues and talking to supporters, however much United spent at the end of the transfer window and however active um, that they were in those final weeks in signing Casemiro and Anthony, when you still look at that squad, I don't think anybody still thought, well, that's that's top four quality or their certainties to finish in the top four. They are somewhat fortunate that the... Um, the competition is a lot more open this year. Liverpool have done a hell of, have done everyone a, a favour really by um, not looking right and not winning enough games. With with Tottenham and Conte, you, you suspect there will come a point where their supporters rail against Conte's style, and Conte does have a limited shelf life at clubs. Chelsea have already sacked a manager. At the moment, Arsenal are obviously looking uh, very, very good. And apart from City, you'd probably say they're, they're the only other team who look close to a guarantee to qualifying for the Champions League next season through finishing mm. the top four of the Premier League. But United have always got the Europa League to fall back on. But if they were to not be in the Champions League next season, having had a record-breaking summer and in, in, when the financial results were announced next week, it was made abundantly clear they would not be spending um, that. They would not be uh, you know, as, as active next year because of the level of spending of this year. Then it, it could be a, another long, long time until they're a, a credible force again. That, it, that's how it feels because it was like a, a, a dose of cold water on the early season optimism. It was, but even those wins, there were there were caveats to them. The Liverpool win, I mean, they they were stunning in those the first twenty minutes. They absolutely overwhelmed Liverpool, but there was the element of holding on and, and winning the game via a counter attack, which was Solskjaer's favourite tactic. All three goals against Arsenal were counter attacking goals. There was uh, prag- pragmatism underpinned the away wins against Southampton, Leicester. I mean, the, the positives, obviously easily outweighed the negatives over a four-game winning run in the league, as, as they should do, and there was a lot to um, be impressed by them. But the, we were still walking away from games, you know, dwelling on the caveats. And, I mean, that's our job. You've, you've, you've got to look at um, all, all the aspects of the game rather than just be, um, you know... And There's always a danger of just straying into cheerleading mode, but you've got to stick to your guns at times and... And I know, Samuel, you're obviously you're Manchester-based, but just just finally for me, is there any chat among journalists um, in the sense of what actually is happening at Liverpool, and is everyone just like perplexed by this almost collapse in seven games? Because Man United fans are waking up this morning. There's no Schadenfreude in the sense that, well, we're kind of both in the in a bit of a mess here on a Monday morning, but Liverpool, in, in some respects, more so. It, it- I, I mean, it is strange, especially, I know it was only the Community Shield, but that was an extremely competitive game and they were very impressive. You looked at the way they conducted their business in the summer, the major incoming, the major outgoing, both done before July, classic Liverpool, efficient, um, strengthening. You looked at their squad. I mean, I had them down as, um, as my prediction to win the title this season because just because I thought their their squad was more rounded than City's. But I suppose they have stood still in, in some key areas and some players have, have taken their eye off the ball. I mean, Alexander-Arnold as a defender, I've, I've just never, ever rated. 
as an attacking right back, he has raised the bar the way Dani Alves did before him. And when you've got Van Dijk um, gifting chances and not looking himself, you're going to be gifting chances to teams. So I think it's I think we're still at the stage where you expect Liverpool to rally and eventually return to their old selves without winning the league this season. I think that that's that's possibly already gone for them. But I suppose if they're in this situation in a month's time or when the season um, is, is halted for the World Cup, then I think that, that there are going to be some particularly tough questions that are asked of Klopp, who by and large does get quite an easy ride. But that's because he's done such a phenomenal job there in the last seven years. Samuel, great to have you with us again. Thanks a million. Cheers. Thank you so much. Take care. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.